0: All right, what are we doing here? We are in Nehemiah. We're, we just started this last week, so we're right at the beginning of this new series, so this is a perfect time to be here, uh, going through the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. And in the events of Nehemiah, we are going to see ourselves. We're going to see our time. We're going to see our church, our city, in the events of Nehemiah. God's people in this day, back in the day, at this time, this was in the 5th century B.C., They were hopeless. They were illiterate to God's Word. They'd been exiled. They were following pagan practices, worshiping false gods. We're not talking about, you know, listening to a little bit of heavy metal music or dressing up for Halloween or, uh, you know, letting your kids read Harry Potter. We're talking about actual pagan practices and things that they were doing. And in this hopeless time of despair, God's God raised up Nehemiah, the, the cupbearer of King Artaxerxes, who was the ruler of the Persian Empire at the time. And we, we got a giggler over here. <laughs> Thank you. That's very kind of you. Um, where am I? So Nehemiah is this great hero of faith, this great Bible hero of faith who overcame incredible obstacles, faced almost an impossible task to restore uh, God's people in, in, into uh, Jerusalem to rebuild the, the, the gates and the, the city that have been, the walls that had been destroyed. And even though he had personal failings himself, and even though the odds were stacked against him and he didn't have the resources, uh, he prevailed. He persevered. And God met him in his, well, God spoke, Nehemiah responded, and God provided. It's an amazing story that we can learn so much from. So the broader context, just to recap briefly from last week, in case you're not familiar with the Bible... That God's people in the Old Testament, ancient Israel, the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, kind of in their heyday, in their, kind of the highest point of their kingdom during the reign of King David and partially during the reign of King David's son, uh, Solomon, King Solomon, they really were getting closer and closer to being a righteous and just kingdom, they were, they were safe, they were secure, they were prosperous, they were full of purpose. They were actually living out the mandate, the calling of inheriting this promised land. You know, God has set them free from slavery centuries before, and now they're at this place at the height of their kingdom, doing, actually moving towards the purposes of God, building a kingdom on earth fit for the king himself, for God himself. But they failed, and they failed big. They started worshiping false gods. Solomon had a big part to play in this. There were other problems too, but they, they, they got pulled off track. They were, they were, they were you know, per- perpetrating injustice. They were corrupt, corrupted. People with judges taking bribes, people doing things behind closed doors that they shouldn't be doing. And they were a divided nation. They actually split in two. There were two power centers now in Jerusalem, north and south, Jerusalem and Judah. And because of this, because of their wickedness and their evil ways, God sent the Babylonians to conquer them, to defeat them, to humiliate them, to humble them, and to exile them. And they were in exile for 70 years, 7-0. It was a massive, radical intervention to stop the evil ways of God's own people. Later on, the Persian Empire actually overtook the Babylonian Empire, so now God's people are now being ruled over by, by the Persians. What we see is after 70 years of this exile, some people begin to return to Jerusalem during uh, the, the Persian Empire. And one of the people that returns is a guy called Ezra. Ezra is a scribe and a priest, and he returns with resources to actually finish the construction of the temple, to restore the worship of the ones you got of the Bible in Jerusalem. And then 13 years after Ezra came back, we pick up the story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah, we learned this last week, he gets a report from his bro, his actual brother, and some friends. And he gets a report that, yes, of course, we know that the city is still in quite disrepair from the original kind of conquering and exiling Of course, that's still the case. But more recently, it seems, the city gates themselves have been burned down and parts of the wall have been destroyed. And so the remnant, there was still a small remnant of people that remained in Jerusalem. God, by his grace, allowed this group of people who were vulnerable and, I'm sure, very fearful to stay in Jerusalem. Not everyone was exiled. Some stayed, this remnant. And now Nehemiah gets the report that this remnant is vulnerable because the gates have been burned down, the walls have been destroyed, some of the walls have been destroyed, and they've been attacked. And he has this overwhelming response to it. And we looked at that. That's all last week. If you missed that, that's on our website. You can catch up on YouTube, on iTunes podcast. You can catch up with that. This matters so much. The fate of God's people matters so much because it was promised through the descendants of Abraham that a messiah would be born the savior of the world and we know that that's Jesus Christ who would die for the sins of the world and so Nehemiah is fighting for God's people for God's kingdom for God's purposes and God's ways in his generation and he he doesn't see the full picture he can't look ahead and see that it's all about Jesus he knows there's a promised messiah coming he can't figure it all out nobody back then could quite see it all it's been revealed to us so we look back and we know it but how amazing what encouragement to us that we can be fighting for big things and important things or medium things, but God has these massive purposes that we can't even imagine how he's working through the things that we do in our lives. So we learned about the prayer of of Nehemiah. He responded in prayer and fasting, throwing himself on God, crying out for God to provide for there to be breakthrough, to be protection for God's people. And as a response to that, it was actually just kind of God's providential timing, but we had uh, an evening of prayer and fasting. Last Monday. And uh, many people from our church gathered for that. It was a powerful time. It was a Nehemiah moment for us to say, we've got to put God in first place. We've got to pray and fast like Nehemiah and seek a breakthrough. We prayed for Ukraine. We prayed for all kinds of things in our church. And we prayed for each other as well. Now we're picking it up in chapter 2. We're going to be reading chapter 2, verses uh, 1 through 8, continuing on from where we left off last week. Let me pray. And then let me read, Jesus, help illuminate your word to us, teach us your ways, give us great faith to trust in your plans and all that you're doing, and to overcome our fears and our insecurities and our concerns and our selfishness and our self-centeredness. Help us to continually strive for you and seek you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, in the month of Nisan, In the 20th year of Toyota. No, sorry, wrong translation. Wrong translation. I'm getting confused here. Okay. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, What are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, And if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, I guess that's important. I guess I had to get, I don't know why it's important, but I guess the queen had something to say at some point. Verse six, and and the king said to me, how long will you be gone and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates for the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city, And for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked for, the good hand, excuse me, for the good hand of my God was upon me. This is God's word. We see right away in verses 1 and 2, we see that Nehemiah, after prayer and fasting, now has an opportunity to Voice his concern. Up to this point, he has not showed any concern, not voiced this to the king. Now the door is open, he has a chance to share it. It goes to show that no matter how much of a brave face you might put on, and sometimes you have to put on a brave face, right? There are times when you might you might want to be a basket case. We we might want to show our tears and our concerns and our distress and our, our turmoils, which are real and serious, but sometimes you have to put on a brave face. But even the best of us, even strong leaders like Nehemiah, there's it comes a point where you just, you can't hide it anymore. The drafts, the mask, excuse me, the mask drops. The mask will drop, unless, of course, you're Batman, in which case the mask only drops once justice is done. But back to the events of Nehemiah. So right off the bat, no pun intended, but right off the bat here, Nehemiah, he's approaching the king and He's open with the king. This, there's a lesson in this to us, that we don't need to share our troubles and our concerns and the burdens that God has given us, the calling that God has given us. We don't need to share all those things with every single person. We need to be wise about the timing, the strategy, and the moment of it. But Nehemiah, we can learn from Nehemiah, there are divine appointments, divine moments, where the person who can solve or be a part of the solution to the issue we face or to the burden we have is in front of us, and we have to share it. We have to share it. Now he was afraid. He was afraid to share it, and rightly so. This was a dangerous thing. A very dangerous thing. This could have been misinterpreted very easily because he's basically asking Would you fortify basically an adversary of yours? Would you provide help to grow the military defensiveness of this other nation? Now, logically speaking, rationally speaking, do kings in history or dictators or rulers like to help to strengthen their neighboring countries? I just wonder if there's anything happening right now in the world that might be a parallel to this, where people don't like other countries getting power and they want to tax them and make money off them and dominate them and control them and use them and have them as a buffer or whatever it might be. They don't like to help them. They want to rule over them. And we, so, so we see that Nehemiah is very, very reasonable that he's full of fear. He's full of fear. Now, fear, Christians, we talk about fear a lot. There's lots of Bible verses about fear. We're always talking about, hey, you shouldn't be afraid. There's lots of verses. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of this. Don't be afraid of that. All kind of things. Don't be afraid. And the reason it's constantly saying don't be afraid is because we're always afraid. We're just always afraid. I know about you. I'm afraid a lot. It's easy to be afraid. If anyone doesn't look afraid, they're either pretending or they've been through something so many times, they're like, you know what? God's got this. I've been through this quite a bit, and I'm pretty confident in God. That's the only two options. Either they're faking it completely, or I guess there's some other options. They might just be a little bit loopy. That could be another option. But we see here, I think that fear, we have to learn to actually embrace our fears because Fear alerts us to when there are dangers and concerns and when we need to respond and care about situations. So, fear is important. You're going to feel afraid. Okay, it's impossible to get rid of that. But the Christian message is over and over again there are things we, we need to learn to have self control over our fear, not to make decisions based upon it, not to be ruled by it. But also, there are things that we should not be afraid about. There are things we should not fear. You know, we, we can, but we, we do. We fear all kinds of things, we, we fear failure, we fear. Disagreement, disappointment, we, we, we fear conflict with people, we, we fear losing things that we love, we, we're afraid to fully follow God, because like, if I follow God, if I say yes to God, I'm going to have to say no to this other thing in the world that I really love that I'm going to have to say no to, because I'm going to have to say yes to God, we're afraid of losing that, maybe we're afraid of death, all kinds of things we can fear, and Nehemiah is an amazing example to us, because he faces his fears head on, he faces these fears head on, Now, it's not blind faith. I mean, he chooses faith in this moment, but it's not completely blind faith, even though it does seem quite impossible if you really think about it. When you you learn the story of of both Ezra and Nehemiah, you learn that actually Ezra before, 13 years before, returned with help from King Artaxerxes. So there is some example of, of the king being willing to give resources to help rebuild some of Jerusalem that the Babylonians had conquered and destroyed. But So it's one thing to say, I'll give you some help to restore your temple, which is what Ezra was doing, hes restoring temple worship. Now what Nehemiah is doing, though, is a bit different. It's a bit different, so, it's, so there's still risk to it. But nevertheless, Nehemiah faces this fear. It says, in the, I'm not making this up, it says, in the text we read, he was greatly afraid, right, full of fear. We have to remember, when we face the impossible situations, that God calls us to, the burdens He gives us, the calling He gives us, the mission He gives us, those fearful things of like, doesn't compare quite to asking King Artaxerxes for, for some money and some help and some resources. But like Natasha said, you know, even just the idea of inviting someone to Easter, like, man, there's a lot of emotional barriers to that. There's a lot of fears around that. We have to, whenever we face any kind of moment, no matter if it's a small thing like that or a really giant thing, like nation kind of level stuff, We've got to remember the story of Nehemiah. We have to remember that we have a God who does the unlikely, who does the impossible, who does things beyond what we can imagine, what we can engineer or create. God works. He changes people's hearts, changes situations, and does incredible things to bring about his purposes in the end. I think there's a couple of things that we have to realize in order to overcome our fears and actually step out for God more. A couple of things we have to realize. We don't see this first one directly in the passage here, but I think we can conclude it overall from the Bible, is that we have to understand that everyone is afraid. The fears that you deal with don't make you special. You're not special. Don't think that you're special. I'm not spe- We're all fearful. We're all fearful of different things, but we've all got great fear. Everyone, once we understand everyone's in the same boat, everyone has to overcome this, everyone has to face this, you realize I'm just like everyone else in history and everyone else today, this is my process, this is what I have to go through, I have to go through this, and other people haven't gone through it. Some people have, I can look to examples of people who have gone through it and see how they come out the other side. And this is my moment, I have to, so just realizing this is normal, I'm going to feel afraid, I can't get rid of the fears, the feelings of fear, and everyone has to face it. The second thing I think we have to realize in facing our fears and obeying God and trusting God and fully following God is we have to realize that God's purposes are far more important than our personal feelings. They're far more important than than our personal feelings. That God cares about how we feel and God strengthens us in our weakness and he helps us. It's, It's not that God's, you know lacks any compassion towards us. He, he knows how we suffer. He suffered just like we suffer, even more so, in fact. But we've got to understand my personal discomfort doesn't compare, doesn't compare, just doesn't compare to the overall massive grand purposes of God's salvation in the earth throughout history in all that God wants to achieve. Just because I feel a little nervous about something is not a reason, a good reason. It's not, it's a reason, but it's not a good reason why I would say, well, I'm not going to really follow the purposes of God or step out for God in boldness and faith. So to grow this, to grow these, these, big, these big acts of faith in us, because it'd be easier for Nehemiah just to say, you know what? Doesn't matter. I'm just having a bad day. How easy would that be? Just having a bad day. Oh, I had a bad dream. Didn't sleep very well. Sorry about that. And put on a, put on that brave face again. Be so easy to do that. To grow in this it's baby steps, right? It's baby steps. You can jump in the deep end. Some people do that. If you've got that kind of personality, just launch into the deep end with it. But it's, it's helpful to take small steps to build up that tolerance, to build up, I can trust God. When I take a big step of faith and I stretch myself out, God provides. It's amazing. God seems to provide every time and then I can stretch myself out a bit more and God provides and I stretch myself out a bit more and God provides. It's amazing to see what happens over time. Deep down... Deep down, I think, if if you follow God, if you've got any inclination in your heart to believe in the God of the Bible, deep down you know that God is right and true and can be trusted and should be trusted and that you want to trust Him. You want to trust Him in every moment of your life. I know I want to trust Him in every moment of my life, but there are barriers. There are those barriers. And so we have to be more honest. We have to be vulnerable. And we have to to open ourselves up and realize if we don't seek God in prayer, if we don't display faith and actually activate our faith, because faith can't just be an internal feeling. It's got to manifest itself in the real world. For faith to be real, it can't just be just an internal thing. You have to act out your faith. Your faith has to turn into something real. If we don't actually do that, our circumstances typically don't change. God works in us and through us. Now, don't get me wrong. There's two sides to this, right? God acts independently of us. Of course he does. He's supernatural. So he's... Above all things, he created all things so he can raise the dead. He can heal the sick. He can give financial provision. He's got all the things and can do all the things and works independently from us. It doesn't matter how much we we plead for him to do certain things. God does his will, which is why it's always good to just pray God's will. God responds to our prayers, of course. But then on the other side of that, we see that God also works through natural means, and he does it a lot. We see it in the story of Nehemiah here. Nehemiah is asking the king, would you do this? I mean, he's asked, he went to God first, he went to the king of kings first, and then he goes to this king second. Would you provide this? God surprisingly works in, through ordinary means all the time, through old school things all the time. Just look at the Bible. God prefers letters over the emails, right? And he likes text as well. Text is a good one he likes. It takes faith to believe in both of these. It takes faith to believe in the, in the supernatural massive intervention, like God's going to just step in and directly power it and boom, do a miracle. It takes faith to believe in that. It also takes faith to believe that God is going to orchestrate things in seemingly natural ways to bring about an outcome that he wants. Both of them take faith. The natural means is no less spiritual. Asking King Artaxerxes for the letters, for all the resources—it's no less spiritual than praying for a miracle and God intervening directly. Both of these things are normal, Christiany things that we have to actually get used to and 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 grow in ourselves. So, it, what it shows to us is that God, God, encourages us to pray, wants us to pray, wants to provide for our needs, wants to fulfill His purposes, wants to use us in both supernatural and natural ways. And so, because of that, we got to get really good at asking for stuff. We got to get we got to get way better at asking for stuff, asking God for stuff, asking other people for stuff. And we have got to get way better than all these kids who, at Christmas time, right? Kids, some I mean, even more kids. There's lots of us who are kids at Christmas time with our wish list of things we want. Asking. This is my. This is what we need for this time. So Nehemiah has this construction project that he's got to do. Doesn't have the resources. Doesn't have the doesn't have the people. Doesn't have the access. But what does he do? He steps out and he asks. He's praying, but he's asking the king. He's doing something very spiritual, very supernatural in all of this. And God has a calling on every generation. This is Nehemiah's generation. This was their calling was to return, return to God. Right? That's our series. It's called Return to God. We're returning to God. Today's sermon is permission and provision. We're, that's what we're looking at today. But that's their generation's calling. Every generation has a calling. Our congregation has a calling. And so we've got to look at Nehemiah and relate it to ourselves. This is what we do in the Bible. We learn from the Bible about God, first and foremost, about the characters and the people in the Bible, biblical history. But then also we relate it to ourselves. What is God teaching us through this? And one way I relate building project to myself is you know every time after a DIY project, you know I always close my eyes and prayer and say, Lord, for your glory, please let this shelf stay level, <laughs> just for your namesake. So we have, a, we have a building project, right? We're doing this tangible community uh, offering. We've been doing this for years. We're trying to maximize ministry in this place. Investors own this facility, and that, they're good people, but that restricts what we can do for God's glory and God's purposes. And so we want to be a more tangible community. We want to be a community that has even greater impact and even greater presence in the city of Chicago and in this area. And so we're, we're entering into the season of sacrificial giving, of saying, I'm going to participate, I'm going to play a part of that. But there's another step that we can take as well. We can pull a Nehemiah. We can pull a Nehemiah. We can do a Nehemiah. What do I mean by that? We can identify and find the Artaxerxes in our lives, don't discount this. This is scary. This might It won't be as scary as King Artaxerxes, but it still might be fear, fearful. We can identify those people and approach them prayerfully for resource and for help. We want to be a blessing in this place. We're living with the purposes of God in our hearts. We want to bless this place. We want God to be glorified in this place. The investors who own this place this property. They're in it for the money. They're in it for the dollars, but we're in it for the impact. We're in it to make a difference. We're in it for the glory of God. It's quite a difference, and I'm praying and hoping for myself and for our church that we can get clarity and boldness on who might the Artaxerxes be in our lives who have resource, not just for just giving, although that could definitely be helpful, people giving towards this, but also rebuilding what we lost over the last couple of years. The last couple of years have been bad for a lot of churches, challenging for a lot of churches. And so we've still got a lot of gaps to fill in. We're looking to hire a children's director. We're looking, we've got all these different things we're trying to fill in the gaps to. What Artaxerxes has God put in our lives that we can tap into? What connections can we tap into and say, what levels can we pull and connections we can make to say, what resources can come in from unexpected places? Think about it like this. You know, Many organizations and business, businesses actually have funds set aside for charitable donations. And what's the harm in saying, we've got this great cause, we're doing this great thing. Would you assign some of that giving, some of that donation to this cause? And of course, we're a registered charity as well, so there's a tax write-off. So accountants everywhere, thank me later for that one. On a personal note, we actually had this happen to us with a relative of ours a few years ago. We were doing a fundraiser, and uh, this relative approached us and said, hey, my company will match my gift. And so I just we had to take, take care of some paperwork. But essentially, they gave, and then their company matched it. That's an exact example of what I'm talking about here. You might have much more favor with your boss or with an Artaxerxes-type person in your life than you could possibly imagine. We want to pray for more favor, though, broader favor as well. So, for example, we've got the bank over here, and I've entered into negotiations with uh, the bank on the corner here that we would get access to their parking lot on Sunday mornings. It's very practical, getting very practical now. Nehemiah is a practical book, you know. I mean, he starts off with prayer and fasting, but it gets very practical very quick. But it's an issue of accessibility. There's a, a spiritual need underlying that, that yes, people can walk here, yes, people can take CTA here, but if you haven't noticed the streets around here are very special. We have very special streets around the church here. They're so special, in fact, they're almost non-existent. They're all, they're so tiny. They're the tiniest streets that anyone. I don't know who's responsible for building this area, but they screwed up majorly, and we're living with, with the repercussions of it. So it's okay. So, but we've got to pray for favor with the bank, working in, trying to negotiate, trying to use pull the levers that we have. Say. So, I'm basically promised, hey, we're going to put, our, we'll move our whole building fund to your bank. This is how much money we have. That's what I told them. So, they're like, we're interested. So, they might give us access. We need to pray for that. Join me in prayer. I've got some ideas about trying to get access to the library's parking lot over here as well. We tried that before and were turned down, but I'm, I'm gearing up and getting energy again for like another pass by at this, another shot at this. So, we need to be praying because all these practical things. Are for spiritual reasons, are for the reasons of saying we want to make this accessible, we want more people to find Jesus, we want people to better come in, to better return to God. That's why all this matters so much, why it's so important. If you see, if you see an opportunity for ministry expansion for Trinity Church, don't discount it. Don't write it off. Don't think, oh that that'll never happen, or oh, that's just far-fetched, or we don't need that, or they're gonna say no, or it's too risky. Don't, don't say no. Think of Nehemiah. Remember the impossibility and the unlikelihood of Nehemiah's moment and how God, provided how God changed Artaxerxes' heart and gave him favor with King Artaxerxes. If you don't have a company that does a matching scheme, that doesn't mean you can't approach and say, we're doing this great cause, would you give? Even family and friends, others, we actually had a situation. Well, think about it like this. There's six degrees of separation between everyone, right? Six degrees of separation, is that right? That's the number? Six degrees of separation between everyone. Surely somebody, we can get to Jeff Bezos somewhere, right? <laughs> or we can, if we can't get to him, we can settle for Kevin Bacon. We can with the six degrees of separation. But I know Ali Brown would be especially excited if we could make contact with Nicolas Cage. <laughs> that would be tremendous. Whatever doors we can no- uh, knock on for that... We actually had a situation, though, in our church uh, again a few years ago where uh, somebody who was a part of our church at the time, they their uh, mother is a very successful entrepreneur businesswoman and uh, very successful, and she would always make a charitable donation each year, and he just simply asked her, would you give a portion of that or all of that to this cause, to what we're doing with Tangible Community? And she said yes. So some of the funds we have have come from very unexpected places. God has, we don't need to have all the resources here already because God has all the resources and he can pour it in. He can pour it in. It's amazing how it works. Now, we can apply this stuff personally as well. We, we, we're talking, now we've got to be faithful to Scripture. The big application of the passage in Nehemiah and the story of Nehemiah is God's people joining together, banding together for God's mission, for God's purposes to shine the light of the goodness of God to the world, to, to, to bring, bring glory to, to God Almighty, right? That's, that's the big thing that's happening. So that's the main application for us. But you can, as you can in lots of parts of the Bible, you can personalize this too and say, how does it work for me? But I just, I just want to say, part of the reason we do that is because we're Westerners, right? And we think in more individualistic ways. And so we have to be careful that we don't turn every, every event in the Bible into a fable about how God wants to send me a King Artaxerxes to get all the outcomes I want in my personal life, right? We just have to be really careful that we're not doing that. But if God has burdened us with something, with a calling, and we're facing a barrier and there's challenges to it, hey, we can follow all the same steps. We can pray and fast. We can display our faith, act in faith. We can ask for big things from those with resources. Of course, we can do all of that. But in all of that, we have to remember never to be manipulative. Nehemiah here, I think he's very... Genuine, he finds the language to approach King Artaxerxes. In verse 3, what does he say? Verse 3, he says, I said to the king, let the king live forever. So this is kind of a customary greeting to the king, you know, giving him a few little, nice little strokes there. Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? We need to pray that God will give us the words to say when we ask for resource. Because he's being persuasive. He's being persuasive, being winsome. He's tapping into my father's graves. He's, he's making it personal. And, you know, the barrier between Artaxerxes and Jerusalem, there's a huge distance between those two things, like spiritually speaking. The, the different value systems, different gods. Artaxerxes is not a believer in the God of the Bible, right? Massive barrier, massive distance between these two things. The bridge between them is Nehemiah, is the person that stands in the middle that connects the two things. Artaxerxes likes his cupbearer. Is concerned about his, is concerned about the emotional state of his cupbearer because he's asking him questions like, you're not sick. It's the sadness of the heart. What's wrong? Tell me. He cons- he's concerned about him and Nehemiah is saying, well, this is what I care about. So if you have favor with someone, somebody appreciates you, likes you, and you tell them what you care about and what matters to you, that begin. That's something that matters now to them because it matters to you, and they care about you. That's how this works. Hopefully, this is not too simple. But he's talking about, hey, the, my father's graves, and uh, the, the the wall being, you know, the city gates being being burned down, and the wall being, uh, part of the wall being destroyed. I think he's trying to personalize this for for King Artaxerxes because imagine if you're in the king's position, thinking through, well, how would I feel if you know, they lost so much already? It was the Babylonians, of course, who had conquered them before, but now. The a Persian Empire that's in place there. Think about it. Like, what if, if my people group were about to be wiped out? My whole lineage lost. And you know, they've lost so much already. Now they're going to be snuffed out, completely gone. Like, this is, you know, or if my city gates were, were 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 burned down and we were vulnerable, we were all vulnerable here. Like, how would I feel? Like, that's powerful. It's not manipulative. If it had been manipulative, I think Nehemiah would probably be dead, because I think the king wouldn't stand for that. He's being wise, and I think we can do similar things. I think we can approach people in similar ways and we can, we can talk about this is the cause I care about. Hey, we're doing something good for the city. We believe in the next generation. We want to do something for the social good to bring people together. There's so much division in our culture. And we're trying to do something great in this place. We've got lots of, there's lots of opportunities and needs to serve, but we've got to get there. we got to, this building is a big part of that and we're trying to move forward in that. I think there's, there's powerful, there's language. We've got to pray, God, give me the language so I can speak these words, and so that I can be winsome and persuasive, because God works through natural means as well, through normal, ordinary, old-school means. The king is primed for this. He's, he's, his heart, he's he's kind of, right, he's, he's anticipating an ask, and I guess that's what kings do. People just are constantly coming before kings, you know, asking for you know, arbitration or like resource or help people are always coming to Kings for those things. So he's ready for it, right? He's primed for it. And I think this can be an encouragement to us that God is preparing the hearts of those Artaxerxes in our lives who we might have the opportunity to say, could you resource this? Do you have a connection? Do you have an opportunity? Do you have something you could do to help us with this? We can have faith that God is preparing the hearts of people before us. We read it in verse four. Nehemiah, at the end of verse 4, Nehemiah says, before he then actually says what he's going to ask for, he says, So I prayed to the God of heaven. So I prayed to the God of heaven. So this is not out loud now. This is is an internal prayer. This is a quick, micro, split-second prayer because he's about to say it out loud, what he wants. It's a big deal. In a few seconds, his head could be cut off if he does it wrong. So he prays. And now we're seeing a different type of prayer in Nehemiah. So we've, we've, we're learning two types of prayer from Nehemiah. We're learning from last week. We're learning that Nehemiah responded in arduous, private prayer and fasting, seeking God, confessing his sins, confessing the sins that the whole nation were complicit in, seeking God in that way, praying and fasting over a more prolonged period of time, a more serious, you know, very on-purpose prayer. Now we're seeing kind of ad hoc, spontaneous, in-the-moment prayer. And we need to learn to mimic Nehemiah. He's a great example of a man of faith, a man of action who was dependent on God. That's the kind of person I want to be, a man of action who's also dependent on God, where I'm, I'm not just praying and fasting, I'm not just praying at the set times, at the, the moments where we've, we've, we plan to pray at this time. I'm, I'm praying in the moment. I'm praying in the moment. Heather and I, we, I think, have t- over the years developed this as a culture in our family and in our marriage, to, you know, when something happens, they say, let's stop and pray, let's stop and pray. And the great thing is, it doesn't take long at all. It can take less than a minute, take 10 seconds sometimes. Let's just say a really quick prayer for God to break through. Sometimes we don't do that because we feel bad. Like, well, I, I didn't go to prayer and fasting last time. And so, you know, I'm just obviously not a very good prayer as a Christian. So, you know, or we just think there's no time for it or whatever it might be. But we've got to learn to have those spontaneous prayers. Now, Nehemiah then, after praying, he... He responds first by asking for permission, can I do this? And then he asks for provision, but then he's really smart, super smart. This guy is savvy. He's like, listen, he asks for a third thing, right? He's like, I need it in writing, really need it in writing. Now, there's a few sub-secondary or tertiary points in here. They're not primary points, not big points in the passage, but they're points that we can learn from nonetheless. A couple of character lessons from this. If we're going to make commitments to people... If we're going to say yes to things or promise things to people, we should only be willing to say yes and to promise something if we would also be willing to sign it on a piece of paper. Otherwise, the words aren't worth it. Now, that's, that's a powerful reframe. It's a powerful way to think about our own words and our own obligations. We should not commit to something unless we say, yeah, I'd put, it in, I'd put it ink and paper. I'd make it legal. That's how powerful. What I'm saying is that's what our words should always mean anyway. It's just a powerful way to actually think about it, to consider it. And then we see the king being willing to do it. He meant it. He's willing to commit to it. The other thing we see in this is that if we're asking for a commitment from somebody, and this is actually what I did with the bank, it's like, I'm going to need this in writing. You do realize that, right? So, we, if, the, bigger the, the bigger the commitment, the bigger the thing we're asking for, the more important it is to get it in writing. A strange illustration, that's not strange, an illustration of this, maybe this is for someone to do. This relates to Marriage. How good is your love if you're not willing to put pen to paper? How good is it if you're not willing to say, oh, I love you so much, I'll bind myself legally to you. I'll make my fullest commitment to you. If you're not willing to put pen to paper, you're actually not willing to put the fullest commitment to somebody else to say, I'm all in with you. Because love has to be exclusive, fully committed. That's why that, people are like, we don't need it. We don't need the paper. We just love each other in our hearts. True love says I'll go all the way. I'm all in for you and exclusively for you. It's not a major point in the passage, but it's maybe a a point of application we can learn. So we see that God overall working, though, through this letter. He gets two letters for different people. He's got the king's seal on it, you know, signed by the king. He's got these letters. These are very natural things. Through these letters, these ordinary letters, Jesus can come. That's how significant this is. That's why we can't discount the natural means that, God's, that God works through. Because through the preservation of this remnant in Jerusalem, God's people are now going to be protected and restored. And Jesus can come from that. Let's finish this up. Let's, and let's look at this last verse again, verse 8. How does this end? It says, And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. This is a phrase, this idea happens a lot. It's it's reflected a lot through both Ezra and through Nehemiah, actually. This idea, they knew that even though they had to take action, even though there was a big responsibility resting on them and they, they had to act, they knew ultimately that God was in control, that God's providential hand of blessing and provision and God orchestrating things in the background, that they knew that God was in control ultimately. The good hand, the favor of God is upon me. Doesn't this show us the kindness of God? Nehemiah, in his personal failings, in the sin of the nation that got them exiled in the first place, the failings over generations and generations of massive failure, God's kindness and God's grace, the good hand of God was upon me. God's favor, God's grace is upon me. The greatest way we see the expression of the good favor and the good grace of God is ultimately in the coming of Jesus, the Son of God, the one who has all the grace who doesn't treat us as our sin deserves, who, like Nehemiah going to a dead city to resurrect it, Jesus comes to us, dead people, to resurrect us, to bring us back to life. That's the power of the the good hand of God has to be upon you because your sin is so terrible, so awful, so destructive, that you can never do enough good to outweigh it. You can never do enough good, which is why only by God's kindness and His hand of favor upon us can we be set free from it. And it only happens through Jesus. This is called the gospel. Some people have never heard it, some people forget it. Never forget it. The good hand, if you believe in Jesus, the good hand of God's grace is upon you to set you free from every evil work you've ever done, will ever do, or might ever do. Today, let's turn to Jesus. Let's trust in Jesus. Let's respond. We need to sing to Jesus and delight ourselves in the providential hand of God, the favor of God. God's favor was on Nehemiah. And we can see the favor of God upon us through his son, through Jesus, God's son, Jesus, dying on our place on the cross to redeem us forever. How can you respond today? What step can you take? Maybe you need to come all the way into God's family. Tell us today if you need to. Maybe you need prayer. Maybe you, you, you're going to, I encourage you to pray. What can be your gift to the Tangible Community Fund? Pray, God, stretch my faith. Help me to give generously like you did. Help me to stir, stir my heart to be generous in that way. What's it going to be? What's your response today? Consider it.